Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle and this is The Private View. We are just easing out of lockdown, uh, aware that Freeze Art Fair has been cancelled, aware that there's a massive question mark over Miami, those in the know say it won't happen, and that the art world is in an interesting state where it's adapting to the changes that have happened globally. For the past 10 years, celebrities have influenced the popularity of artists. Really, I think, well, maybe longer than that, but certainly since Instagram, photographing a celebrity with an artist can spike his sales. Cause is a great example of that. Cause and Pharrell Williams changed the market for that artist who was always on the outside of the art world and now he commands the highest prices when it comes to auctions. Banksy as well. But what I did want to mention today as we're easing out of all, out of lockdown is what celebrity collectors have done for artists' careers. And I'm just going to go through, through some of the celebrities who make a lot of money doing what they do uh, and the artists they collect. And I'll start with Leonardo DiCaprio, who collects Takashi Murakami, Jean-Michel Basquiat, R. Crumb, Ed Ruscha. Uh, Leonardo grew up in L.A., and his father had something to do with comic shops. I think it was a side job where he made cash, uh, going from book collector, comic book collector, to comic book collector, and, and cartoonists like Robert Williams or R. Crumb, to local vendors. Apparently, DiCaprio's father is still close with Williams, and uh, their commitment to the art world is is deep. Um, Leonardo's father, along with Leo, co-produced a Netflix documentary about the Polish painter and sculptor Stanislaw Sukalski. It's on Netflix now, and my point with this is the profile that a a celebrity has can really take an artist like Takashi or Arkram or Ed Ruscha from the art world into the mainstream very quickly. Uh, DiCaprio is now a prominent art collector. He's known in the art world and he's amassed works by artists such as Frank Stella. Uh, apparently he's optioning the right to the Ineo Philbrook story. Um, you know, Ineo Philbrook was the intern with White Cube who uh, falsified or allegedly falsified documents uh, at Christie's of our work that he had, and he is now in jail. Other celebrities who influence what people think of the art world, which used to be a place for uh, people wearing black and taking notes in moleskin notepad and now is a very glamorous hobby, interest. Uh, it's almost akin to fashion in terms of the way people watch the art world. Plus, remember, galleries are a great place to Instagram yourself. Uh, one of the, my favorite comments came from Sadie Cole's gallery when lockdown happened, and it was about the end of the artwork 
being used as a backdrop for Instagram. Uh, but the influencers in this case moved into Timothy Taylor Gallery near Mount Street uh, recently, and that is with their shop called The Row, and that's Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Um, Mary-Kate was an intern for superstar photographer Annie Leibovitz, and she photographed the twins many times. Ashley has been rumored to date George Kondo, who created a fashion advertisement for their brand, The Row. Ashley then moved on to the artist uh, Louis Eisner and Max Snow, who's Uma Thurman's uh, nephew, I believe. You see how small these circles are. It's not unlike the Herring, Warhol, Basquiat vibe in the 80s. Everybody knows everybody. the point that I'm making is if you go to the row on Mount Street, you'll see something to me that looks like a James Terrell. I didn't get to investigate that prior to lockdown, but there is a big luminous neon type of piece that actually might be an LED light. I will look when it opens again. Uh, at their New York shop near the dressing rooms, there's a Basquiat and a Man Ray, and Mary Kate has said, all I really need to live happily is my bed and the art around me. And that work includes Andy Warhol, Thomas Ruff, and Araki. So if you've been reading the headlines lately, Mary-Kate ended up homeless during lockdown and uh, hopefully her art collection kept her company. Bless you, Mary-Kate. We hope you are well. Perhaps the most famous couple to collect art and influence the masses are Jay-Z and Beyonce. Jay-Z's known to own numerous Damien Hirst pieces, and he has rapped about being a fan of Shepard Fairey, Pablo Picasso, Andy Warhol. Uh, Forbes magazine estimates Jay-Z's art collection is worth over $70 million. And... His wife, Beyonce, collects too. She is always on point in making sure that when she does fashion spreads, she uses African-American photographers. Uh, In 2014, Beyonce visited the David Werner Gallery in London to see the Kerry James Marshall exhibit and reportedly is a major fan of the artist. I think we know this. Uh, by watching what's happened to his career in the last few years when rappers like Swiss Beats and Puff Daddy, Sean Combs, made sure they bid up his work at auction. So he became one of the top prices commanded for an an African-American artist, a living African-American artist. This speaks volumes because what Jay-Z, Swiss Beats, Puff Daddy... Kanye, to a certain extent, are doing is they're driving up the prices of African-American arts, ensuring their place in history. A very important relationship between commerce, history, and the art world. Never underestimate how history is written and who it's written for. Uh, That is a big question that we've all spotlit during lockdown. Also in Jay-Z and Beyonce's collection is Kara Walker. You may remember her installation at Tate Modern. Richard Prince, obviously Basquiat. And uh, think back to when Jay-Z and Beyonce dressed up as Frida Kahlo and Jean-Michel Basquiat for Halloween. It went 
crazy on Instagram. There's Brad Pitt and Angelina as well, uh, but Brad Pitt collects on his own. I believe Angelina does too. Brad Pitt is said to be uh, almost apprenticing or working in the studio with Thomas Hausago sculpture, sculptor. He's a British-born, LA-based sculptor who had an, uh, who had the courtyard at the Royal Academy. I think it was for the open exhibition. I think it was last year, if not the year before. Things have become a bit of a blur. The fact that Brad Pitt and Thomas Hausago are collaborating and and working together has done immense things for Thomas Hausago's repu- reputation. And he's now a household name where prior to his Brad Pitt association, people didn't even know how to say Hausago. So... Brad Pitt also collects Banksy. He has watercolors by the Canadian artist Marcel Zama, who is friends with Jeffrey Farmer, who I went to art school with. I say that because I love Jeffrey Farmer, and so many people do. Uh, if you want to follow his Instagram, go to An Hour Before I Sleep. And the word collection bothers Brad Pitt. He says it implies something too formal. Um, even though he's amassed an immense amount of artwork by Richard Serra, Banksy, Marcel Zama, his friendship with Hausago has turned him into a sculptor. This is a kind of quote about him that I picked up somewhere. He recently built a studio, an art studio, in his own L.A. home and uh, even hosted Leonardo DiCaprio a couple of times in some sessions where they were throwing ceramics. Uh, thank you. Thomas Hausago for forging that relationship. It makes the art world a lot more accessible to the masses with your involvement. So, When Stefan Brugelman teamed up with Iggy Pop, both of them crossed over into a different realm. Uh, the show at Hauser & Worth with the black walls and Iggy's voiceover is something that stays with me forever. And my interview with Stefan Brugelman, who has an upcoming show at Hauser & Worth, I think it's either online or in real time. Everything's a blur, as I said. But the collaboration is still the most interesting of all of Brugelman's work in my mind. Have a listen to this interview and... Another name that was impossible to say, Stefan Brugelman. If you see it written, it's kind of hard to pronounce for me. Maybe it's not for you. Uh, But when Iggy Pop was involved, I practiced and practiced and practiced. And Stefan has a great story about phoning Iggy up and just saying, would you do this? And Iggy's like, yeah, why don't you be in my studio at this time next week? Uh, It all happened in Florida. Have a listen. I'm... Incredibly excited to be here with Stefan Brugelman, whose show Hyperpompolist, did I say it right, Stefan? Yeah. <laughs> Opened at Hauser & Worth about three weeks ago, I believe. Yes. It was an inc- uh, a very, very busy night on the street. There were the most fashionable people I'd seen in a long time. I'm sure I saw Mark Jacobs at your opening. But... I don't want to go into that too much because it's a little bit superficial. Uh, your your transformation of the space at Hauser & Worth was daring, to say the least. And I'm not going to spoil it by saying too much. I'm going to hand it over to you. Can you tell us about 
the beginning of the idea for this piece? Well, uh, and what hyperpompless means? Yes. Uh, well, I, I came with this concept for the 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 exhibition. Palimpsest means uh, it's a manuscript that it's been overwritten. Uh, uh, so that, that that's the idea, and so I came with this idea of how uh, society is. Is, is being generated. No, we we create so much information constantly by the second now, and and everything is posted. Everything is distributed in such a fast manner. Thank you, by the way, for posting. You were going to be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I criticize and crave it simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I I have a body of work called Headlines and Last Lines in the Movies. Which is headlines uh, and last lines of of a movie. So uh, this body of work I've been developing through the last uh, ten years, and it's uh, I spray paint on the wall headlines of news of the day, and last lines of dramatic films, and I, I juxtapose them together on, on the wall, and for this occasion, I I, I mixed. Two, two series of work. One, the headlines and last lines, and then my other body of work that is the text pieces. That it's a, a text that I generate. That it, I don't know how to define them as poetry, slogans, uh, statements. I mean, it's something performance. that... Performance. Performance, yes. Um, so I decided and to... And then painting, too, because yeah, painting. sometimes they just blur into an image that has no word in it. Exactly. So then I, when I did this installation, I did it on site, on the gallery. Uh, so I, I spray paint the whole space. And this is not a small gallery. The dimensions are not like... It's the size of a house. Yes, it's, it's a big space. Yeah. The walls are like four meters tall. And the walls were like 11 or 12 meters long. So it was a, a, a big surface. And so I, I spray paint everything and then I, I applied the vinyl text. And then I obliterated everything with uh, black paint. It was startling to walk into this massive space and just see black walls. And you, uh, if you were with people and people were busy in a social buzz, they didn't notice that it wasn't just black walls. Exactly. So uh, what I wanted to do in this uh, case was to force the viewer to look. No? So the first, uh, when people came in, the first thing you saw just was just like a black room. No? But then, And they get annoyed. The, yeah. Everyone's annoyed. They're <laughs> irritated instantly. Exactly. What's going on here? What's happening? And then... Fantastic. By the time you start looking at the work, you start revealing that there's lots of layers of black. Then some text starts to appear. And then you have the sound element. So it's a, a, it's, it's a work that demands attention. Tell me about the sound element the and how that idea came into play. Okay, the, the sound element was... Uh, the reading of all my text pieces, and and for this uh, for this work, I I contact Iggy Pop to do the reading of 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 all my text pieces because I never work with sound, 
and and the text has a sound no uh, uh, writing has a sound and i wanted to put a voice into it i don't like my voice i don't like to perform it my myself i like it better when it's just the text on the wall so i i, I wanted that uh, sound element and also to to find a, a voice for those text pieces and so now this body of work has a memory in sound in, in with a voice that it's and it was my first choice no when i thought who can do it a living person that i would like that voice to be it was uh, iggy pop now i love the art ideas i love the effect of the art but i really do now want the gossip <laughs> how does someone phone up iggy pop and ask him could he please read the text for his art piece well, at hauser and worth i know he's a collector i do yeah. know that yep yeah. But it was. Uh, was he a collector of yours? No. So you didn't know no, him. No, 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 and 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 it was more that uh, through a curator, I was talking about this idea that who could, I wanted to work with sound, and my first wish was Iggy Pop, and he said, oh, "Okay, maybe I have some uh, contacts that uh, can I can." Uh, get through so i sent uh, the curator sent the material to him and he responded immediately you know like it was more this uh, connection with the work and he said okay it sounds something i would like to do and let's meet in miami uh, where he does his BBC radio program. Radio 6, Friday yeah. night. I, list, I cancel plans, stay in and listen to Iggy. <laughs> yeah. He's on a hiatus right now. Yes, exactly. So we went there to Miami and, and, and we did that uh, uh, recording. It was beautiful. I think it plays in the gallery on the top of every hour. Yes, exactly. And his voice, if you haven't listened to his show on Radio 6, which isn't anything i expected he's he's an absolute connoisseur of music and tells yeah. fascinating stories and his voice is rich with experience exactly uh, it's truly like no other radio show i've heard before whether that's bob dylan's theme time radio or 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 Killian Murphy's Radio 6, Iggy's voice and the presentation of it is part of what you're listening to. It's such a unique, unique voice. So, so when I was at the gallery at the top of the hour and he started reading out the text from yeah. your show, he also changed the volume. Yeah, when, when, what, what we did, yeah, when we, what we did, uh, when we did that recording, he, he wrote, he he read the, the text pieces several times with different intonation and different uh, uh, expression. But it was very simple because I told him just to to do what he wanted to do with the material. No, so it was a little, and he said, "But you can direct me." And I said, "Well, it's I leave it to you." No, so it's. Uh, what, how words resonate to you and how the construction of, of the piece is done. You improvise, try to do several things. There's so, a theory if you pick the right person, yeah. you don't have to direct them. Yeah, exactly. So it was more like that. So he went into the studio, read them all three or four times, and that was it. It was quite simple. And for him, he told me it was uh, very simple because he connected to the words and to the to the text, to the material. So 
it was effortless also for for him because there was a connection already. And so someone who, who uh, has experienced this installation, the level of his voice changes. He has different emotions shifting yeah. into each of the words. So Correctly. he may be saying something like blank or text or... Yeah, and in and, 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 and a very deep, low voice. And then there's a moment where he's screaming and shouting and then coming back again. And, you know, like when when I was editing the material, we had all the layers that also reflects all the layers of, of the installation of all different blacks, you know, that you can see. So the work is about layers and how... Uh, you deal with layers. I, I mean, I'm, I've taken the most hardened cynics to see this show, and you've won them over. I'm thrilled by. It. I hope they extend it. To tell you the truth, and I could talk to you about this particular show for the entire half hour, but I want to know a little bit more about you. I know you've been working for a long time, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah. Uh, how did this start? I know you. You have. An interesting balance of Germany and Mexico. You live between two co countries. Is a very contemporary way of living as well, which yes. I like. Um, can you start from the beginning? Well, I will clear say, out another I, two hours. <laughs> I was I was uh, born in Mexico City. Vibrant. I, I was uh, raised there, and then uh, in '98, I started to come to London. And then I've been... Was having, your mother Mexican? or you My mother Mexican, father German. And both of them are uh, archaeologists. So that's oh my. how they met in, uh, in Mexico. But that influences your work as well. In an opposite way. No, I, 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 I'm more interested in the present future than in the past. No, For me, it's uh, uh, my investigation or my observation is more into the present future. So... But yeah, obviously there's a connection on sociological uh, human behaviors and uh, how how society is made. So you came to London presumably to study art or to practice art? No, just to... Because uh, just it's London. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was very interested in in, in music. No, I think London, uh, I was more uh, attracted to all, all the music that it was produced here. More than the art, so for instance, well, I've, since uh, the uh, Sex Pistols to all the electronic music, you know, like all uh, oh, the reggae music, you know, you, there's the variety is very vast, the clash, and, uh, the clash, and very rich, and how they mix together and produce politics. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was one of my interests uh, to come here. And did you study art? I studied in Mexico in, in an academy, the National Academy. And, but I, I really don't believe in, in art schools. You know, like whenever I thought of uh, like the idea of studying in, like in a university here, I thought like, I mean, it's so expensive for what, I mean... It's a basically, business. basically, I think art is an act of freedom. No, so I think you you learn more things another way. You know, like art has that ability of reinventing or questioning itself. That it's not like you're going to become a doctor that you need to 
do a right. surgery. Right. You know, you know, you need those knowledge and procedures. I think art is, is, is basically the other way around. Yeah, no, 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 you're absolutely you right. It's about take, examining what they're teaching and taking uh, that apart yeah, exactly. rather than or, learning what they're or teaching reinventing and reinventing your own route yes. because the moment you're following an, another way of doing art, you're already becoming a mannerism of something. So then I think there's a contradiction there. Oh, fantastic. So the most striking thing about walking into your black room at Hauser & Worth is, aside from it not being a black room, how... This is a gallery. It's a selling space. Yeah. This isn't a museum. Yeah, this but is I a think... a big challenge, and I like the challenge, and I, 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 you know I'm enthusiastic about your work, but this is a very serious, big challenge, and you've shown yeah. a lot. You're not showing things that are easy to sell. Yes. I, I think that's, that's always a challenge. No? Like how how to, to push the limits uh, of... of, uh, of the place where you're exhibiting, no, and and also that it works. Yeah, but to because, talk gallery, that's a blue chip gallery, one of the top ten most yeah. powerful galleries in the world. Into doing it is yes, but they were also encouraging to do it. No, you know they have this uh, ability to give you s s freedom. No, and 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 it's a challenge. You know, it's a discussion, a tension between the artist and and the gallery. And, and at the end, it worked well, you know, like the words are, have been sold. And, you know, you have to figure out. I mean, as an artist, I, I prefer to do first the work and then figure out how we're going to sell it. No, But it's part of the equation. But you don't think, the, well, in my case, I don't think the other way around. Like, what can I do that I can sell? I think it's, I think that the other, is the freedom. That's the freedom. It's the other way around. You better do a, a good artwork, and then you f you have to figure out a way to insert it into society, into uh, the commerce of it. What I understand from your work is that it changes drastically from show to show. Perhaps I'm wrong. Yeah. I saw an interview you did with Hans Ulrich. That's incredibly famous curator in 2003. Yeah. When was your first exhibition? My first uh, exhibition, well, I had several exhibitions, but the one that I consider the first actually was here in London in 98 in a non-profit space in, in the south of London called the Museum of Installation. And it was 98, and that that's where I think my first show happened. That's something changed for you in that no, show. Or that I, 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 I consider it like the first uh, because I had other uh, exhibitions but still you know I feel that was a starting point. What did you point. show? What did you show? It was very simple. Uh, the space was a storefront of like a shop and I just uh, took the, the, the glass of the facade and lean it in the wall inside. So the, the space was open 24 hours. I so guess. it was very simple. I, there, there was no budget. There was a, you know, it was another way of working. So I decided I will use just the elements that the architectural space has and just shift a little bit the it's condition. And, and it was quite important to, to do an exhibition that was open 24 hours. I'll say. And letting the wind and the dust 
come in the space and so for uh, the duration of the show which was what a month yeah like six weeks so it was open and it was i mean Yeah, I want to see that now. Yeah, that yeah, it would be interesting to see something like that. I want to talk to you about having yoga in the gallery. Yeah. Uh that that was really interesting to me because I want to know why you wanted that there. Okay. It was uh my I uh, the, the how I came up with this idea was that the gallery asked me to do an event there, no? So Most of the time, those events are maybe having a curator talking to you, doing a presentation of films or doing an interview. So I, I decided to do something different, that it was uh, this yoga class that deals with uh, breathing and uh, meditation. And it's another way to confront the work because normally when when you are in a when you see an artwork either you are in an opening with a lot of people that create the sound or you're alone watching it no? and then you leave so this was like preparing you in another state of mind you know? uh, and then confronting the work in another like in an unusual way so have the yoga classes happened with the pranayama breathing i'm guessing yeah, have yeah. they happened have they been they, 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 who's they, teaching them the, the, we hired a specialist uh, on that and uh, there's going to be three classes and there's already two has happened so i'm coming to the one, last one i practice one, every day i can't wait so there's one last one i don't know exactly the dates Yeah, there's one left. The gallery told me when I inquired that the yoga classes were sold out. Yes. If uh, all the spaces were taken. They were ta and there are few. There are like 40. I mean, I, it's not like uh, a small uh, room, but yeah, they've been successful. Stefan, you're going to have to come in again because we apparently have less than a minute left and I don't know how that happened. But during the song, we talked about so many things like your work being a generator of doubt, um, your show at the Pompidou, future collaborations. Can you tell me anything to wrap this up? Or people anything, where they can see their show, how they can follow you on Instagram, no, what's up next? It would be next? good that they go and see the show at House and Weird that closes the 27th of April. So I think it, that would be great. I do too. How can they follow you on Instagram? Because you do report on your work yeah, a lot there. Stefan Brueggemann. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Handle Stefan Brugelman, perfect. Yeah. Two G's and the Pompidou Center. What are you doing there? I'm going to do a special project where I will hang a, a sculpture from uh, the ceiling. The gorgeous building. Yes. If you were looking at any shows today that weren't yours, what would you be looking at? Uh, good question. I, I saw the Fran vest. Yes, and I liked it. Oh, it was beautiful. The, the installation was. Uh, I really liked it. Did you see it at Zwerner or at the Tate? I, I the Tate one. Do you know it's one of the only exhibitions I've been to where the people who are the attendants are laughing. Okay. It's so good. The adaptives on the body, and I, I can see why you liked it because the playfulness with the seriousness. Yes. The personal politics, the the fun, the antagonism. All of the same qualities that motivate what I see in your work is yeah. in Franz West's. Yeah, yeah I, I bet I, you I liked it. I can see that connection.
Let's move things a little closer to home and talk a bit about the Beckhams. Uh, David and Victoria Beckham are great collectors, particularly of British art. Uh, David has been known to champion provocative British art scene and started with work by Damien Hirst, Tracy Emin, Sam Taylor Wood. Uh, he likes getting unknown artists as well and supporting them. Uh, Victoria turns her shop on Dover Street into an art gallery regularly. She had a Warhol party there during Fashion Week last year that was extraordinary. It was as though they'd reinvented the Warhol Museum in Philadelphia. Incredible, incredible that they put their money behind art the way they do. Uh, they also collect Kusama, Warhol, Jeff Koons. We have the power couple Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys who collect Kahindi Wiley, Team Lab, Cause, Arthur Jaffa, who is... Spike Lee's cinematographer and an artist in his own right. Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys influenced P. Diddy, uh, Sean Combs, to make the highest bid ever for Kerry James Marshall's work in 2018. He bid on a piece that made Kerry James Marshall the highest price ever for a living African-American artist and brought him from relatively obscure outside the art world into a household name. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Goop, Goop Gwyneth Paltrow, started off as a art history major before becoming an actress. She has been collecting since she was a teenager. Uh, there's a rumor that she's related to Cy Twombly in some way, or the families are connected, but she has Cy Twombly, Kenny Scharf, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Kusama, and who knows how much more art. Uh, Chris Martin reportedly bid against Charlize Theron on a Banksy piece years ago, and he didn't back down against Charlize in, in, a, in a questionable bidding war by some. He actually played it out and got the piece, and I, I admire him for it. Uh, Pharrell Williams, we know Pharrell brought cause to the public with a curated booth at Miami Basel. We won't have Miami Basel this year, and it sucks for artists who need the exposure. But I know the art world is so adaptable that they will come up with another way of promoting people who need the attention. And, and honestly, the world is very curious right now. So... It's a great time for the art world, great time for collaborations, uh, collaborations that bring out different aspects of both artists, whether it's an actor and a visual artist or a musician and a dancer. You get what I'm saying. There's a long history of artists collaborating with uh, celebrities, dating back to Elsa Scarparelli and Salvador Dali in the infamous organza dinner dress with a painted lobster. Uh, but we do move thing through things to uh, Alexander McQueen and Damien Hirst, Sarah McCartney and Ed Ruscha, Lady Gaga and Jeff Koons, Farrah Fawcett. Do you remember Farrah Fawcett, the Charlie's Angels actress? She did a collaboration with Keith Edimer 
he, her organization, the Art Production Fund, was producing a collaboration between Farah and the artist. And the artist, Keith Edimer, was said to idolize Charlie's Angel, and he asked her to be his muse. That's a whole other subject, the artist and his muse. But when creative figures come together, it's always exciting. Uh, definitely look into Stefan Brugelman and think through what the possibilities are of when two creatives get together, how the electricity just sparks, especially when they're from different mediums. Thank you for listening to A Private View. I'm Maeve Doyle. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to email me, Maeve at Maeve Doyle Art. It's spelled M-A-E-V-E at M-A-E-V-E D-O-Y-L-E-A-R-T dot com. Subscribe if you like the podcast and thank you for listening.